Well, good morning, Parkview. All right. Come on. Uh, I'm glad you're here. You guys ever seen the show, The Prophets? You ever seen this show? Okay, yeah, okay. A few people have, perfect. The show is Marcus Lemonis. He's this millionaire, entrepreneur, investor. And these small companies uh, reach out to Marcus because they're struggling. Uh, they're having trouble meeting the bottom line. There's something broken in their company. And so they reach out to Marcus, hoping that he'll come in, make an investment, and help their company be, be profitable again. And so this happens every episode. It's reality TV, but every, every episode's the same, which is hilarious. Um, every episode, same format. Marcus comes in. He meets the owners of the CEO of the company, and they're, they're at some coffee shop. He takes a tour of the facility, and then they go to some coffee shop or some restaurant, and they make a deal. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in your company, but part of the terms is that I'm going to come in, I'm going to do things my way. I have certain systems, certain processes that I'm going to implement, and it's going to help your business, and it's going to be, you know, I kind of have the authority to do that because I'm making this investment. And every episode starts with this, this handshake and these big grins, and this is going to be great. And then for the next 30 minutes, every episode, there's this tension between Marcus and the business of them saying, well, this is how we used to do it, or that won't work, or we've already tried that, and him saying, well, we're going to make this investment here, we're going to retrofit this space, we're going to create new systems. And he says, trust me, this, is, this works, I've done this before, I have this certain way, and this is the way we're going to do it. And by the way, I made this investment, so you have to do it this way, which just causes the tension. It's great writing slash reality TV, but it's all written and scripted. And then the last 10 minutes, again, always the same, then the, the, the company takes this turn based on the things that Marcus has brought, you know, the value that he's brought to the company. And so the last 10 minutes is the owner of the employees saying, this was such a great decision. We could never have thought about these things without Marcus. He brought in all these systems and procedures and personnel and all these things to make our business succeed. His way was the best way. We're so glad that we, that we reached out to him. Every episode. Every episode. There's like one or two that they're like, don't make a deal, and then it's like over. And it's like, well, that, that's not why I tuned in. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, today we start a series called Greater Than. We talk about what does it look like. God has a, a way in which uh, he expects us to live life, some, some things that he invites us into. And the things that he invites us into, the way that he has asked us to participate is greater than what we could ever do on our own. And so we're going to talk over the next few weeks about what does it look like uh, to live God's way and how is that greater, how is that better than our way? And today we start off kind of with a generic, uh, what does it look like to say yes to God? How is a yes to God greater than a no? And initially it might seem, well, why wouldn't you say yes to God? That seems common sense. Yes to God, that always seems like a good thing. Sermon over, I'm going home. But the reality is, reality is, is that there are a lot of scenarios, a lot of situations that make it difficult to say yes to God. And so we're going to look at some of those today. I just found a few as I researched and talked to people, and so hopefully they're helpful to you. But one of the reasons that we sometimes say no is because a yes can be risky. A yes can be risky. When you say yes to God, you, there is a certain level of, I'm not sure what's going to happen, and not only am I not sure what's going to happen, but there might, it might actually end up costing me something great. You look at some of, some of the yeses in Scripture, and they end up in cisterns or ditches or Jesus himself who ends up on a cross as he says yes to the plan that God has for him. So saying yes to God, there's a certain level of risk. You know, I think of the story in Genesis 12, the birth of the nation of Israel with Abraham. He was asked to do something. He was asked to say yes, and it was incredibly risky. This, you might be familiar with this. It says this in Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, 
and your father's household to the land that I will show to you. Open-ended, great risk. Who knows what is on the other side of this yes. But Genesis 12, 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Despite the risk, God calls him to something greater. And greater than security ends up being this nation, the nation of Israel that comes out of Abraham's, yes, far greater than having security. Another reason we sometimes say no is the yes can be unclear. You know, if I say yes, I'm, not, I, I'm on board with the principle. I'm on board with what I think God is calling me to do, but I have no idea how it's going to get done. I don't know where the people are going to come from, the finances, the resources, the building, the tech, the, all of that. I don't know how it's going to happen. And so saying no is easier because the yes is very ambiguous. You know, this is me. These first two are me. You know, I remember um, I'd been at Parkview for three weeks, and we were doing a, a team-building, vision-casting type exercise. And I was still getting used to all y'all, um, which you're great, by the way. Figure that out. We're good. And so I was still, I was in the early stages of my time here, and we did this exercise called the thinking wavelength. And it was five questions, all centered around how your brain works uh, and how you lead and that type of stuff. And they were all questions around, on a scale of one to ten, how comfortable are you with risk, with uh, ambiguity, with not having, you know, it was all those type of questions. And so on the scale of one to ten, uh, Dave Davis was like a 15, it doesn't surprise anyone, but I still remember this number. I still remember this number, because it you add up all your numbers and you divide it by five and then you put yourself on the one to 10 wavelength. 2.8, 2.8. For context, next closest person was above six. And so I remember thinking, I'm gonna get fired. I've been here three weeks. I'm done. It's been fun, Parkview. There are people here that are lapping me in this area. Because the way that I'm wired, the way, and this is something that I'm trying to grow in and it's something that it's, not, it's part of who I am, but there's also a, a growth edge here. It, I, I, like to, I like certainty. Before I sign up for something, I like to know exactly how it's going to play out. I like to, like to have the plan in front of me. I don't like to take risks. Why would you take risks? That's dumb. Not taking risks is smart. That's what, that's what I say. I don't know. Some of you are like, no, 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 take risks because that's exciting and so much can get done. But for the risk-adverse people, our slogan is, we're just being smart. We're just being wise. There's a, there's a scenario in which God calls a group of people to something incredibly unclear, incredibly ambiguous. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake. They were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That's super clear. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when they had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat. They were preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. They left their father in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. With no job description, with no three to five year plan, with no... No, what's the upward mobility track of this opportunity? No risk assessment. An ambiguous ask, and this group of people says yes. You know, despite the, the, the ambiguity, Jesus called them to something greater. And greater than the known was this movement that they started as a result of Jesus' ministry that you and I are still a part of today, 2,000 years later. Far greater than knowing what was out there, knowing what was next for them, is this, the church. Sometimes 
uh, we say no because uh, we think that the yes is beneath us. Well, I don't want to do that. That's, other people can do that. I'm, I'm too qualified to do that. I'm too whatever to do that. That was the case of a guy named Naaman. He's in Second Kings 5. He was a commander in the army, powerful man, and he comes down with this disease, with leprosy. And a prophet comes to him and says, in order for you to be healed of leprosy, this is what you should do. You should go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman did not like that solution because that's beneath him. He says, well, this is what I thought would happen. He went away angry and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me. He would stand. He would call on the name of the Lord. He'd wave his hand over the spot and he would cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I, just, couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? I don't want to have to get into the water. I thought you could just wave your hand. And if I do have to get in the water, couldn't I get in a better river than Jordan? And so after some discussion, he agrees. And he went down. He said yes. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. As the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and became clean, that of a young boy, just like Michael Poorman's skin, just as a young boy. <laughs> Beautiful, silky. I just threw that in there. That was not in the script. I just thought of that. That was good. I'm going to do that again in the next service. But maybe not the recording. We'll cut that. Greater, greater than his pride, greater than the pride is a new, healthy life. It's far greater than the pride that he carried to say no to God. Sometimes we say yes because it's the opposite of beneath me. Or we say no because the yes is beyond me. Not beneath me, but beyond me. There's no way I could possibly ever do that. I'm just a whatever. I couldn't do that. That thing that I think God might be calling me to. I think of Moses, this ex-con, this murderer who has run away, who was a shepherd. And God asked him to do something that is incredibly beyond him. He asked him to go stand up to the most powerful man in the world uh, with no resources, with no army. And he says, just ask the most powerful man in the world to let my people go. And Moses, appropriately, probably what we would all say, says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I can't do that. This is Pharaoh. I, I, this, is, this yes is way beyond me. After about a chapter, chapter and a half of some pretty tense discussion, if you know the story, finally Moses kind of agrees-ish. And eventually he says in 420, so Moses took his wife and his sons, they put them on a donkey, and they started back to Egypt. And even as he said yes, he goes through some doubt and through some insecurity. But eventually, greater than the, the easy success, the low-hanging fruit, the, well, of course I'll be able to do that, greater than the easy success was the event of the Exodus, this, this premier salvation event in the Old Testament. Far greater than an easy yes. Sometimes we don't say yes because a yes can be uncomfortable. It will stretch us just a little past what maybe we're comfortable doing. It might ask us to sacrifice a little bit more than we're willing to sacrifice. And a yes sometimes can be uncomfortable. And let me suggest to you that it's the uncomfortable yes that leads to transformation. 
The uncomfortable yes is what leads to transformation. Another way to think about it might be not all yeses are created equal. So for, so for instance, if we use an analogy, so when a, a child learns to ride a bike, whatever age that was, you know, that was 16 for me. Uh, it was rough. Um, whenever you learn to ride a bike, when a kid learns to ride a bike, first time without the training wheels, kid runs into the house to his friends. I learned, I, I rode the bike with no training wheels. Everyone goes crazy. There's a party. There's a cake. There's a parade. It's like, it's a big, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. It stretched them. It was, it was months maybe of working on this. It was overcoming fear. I mean, that's a huge deal when a child or adolescent learns to ride a bike. But when you're 25, you ride your bike over to your parents' house and say, Ma, I rode my bike here. I mean, okay, cool. It's dinner time. I mean, no one's going to, because for you, it didn't stretch you. You didn't overcome any fear. It didn't change you. It didn't, it didn't push you just a little beyond what you thought maybe you were capable of or what you thought. The, it's just, that's what you do. You should know how to ride a bike probably when you're 30. Like, that's, and so if you don't, it's okay. No one's, I don't feel, I felt that was a little strong. Uh, if you don't know how to ride a bike, like, it's okay, kind of. Um, Listen, there are some of you, and I'll say this delicately, there are some of you that have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. Your yes has to look different. It has to look different than someone who's exploring the faith or is new to relationship with Jesus. Those yeses are not, the, they don't produce the same amount of transformation. You know that. And so for you, coming to church or maybe giving or serving in some way, that's, you've been doing that for 40 years. It's second nature to you. And so the temptation, the caution is to say, why well, I'm doing all these yeses, I'm saying yes. So I must be changing. I must be doing what, exactly what God has asked me to do. Well, for, someone, for some of you today, that's true. Walking through this door was a huge deal. Exploring what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus is a big deal. Giving maybe for the first or second time it might be brand new to you, and so you feel it. It's a bit uncomfortable, and that produces transformation in you. And so if whatever that next thing for you is that's a touch uncomfortable, I want to encourage you to lean into that. And for those of you that are just doing the very comfortable yes, I would caution you to think that that equals growth. I'm not sure that always equals growth the way that we think it equals growth. I think God wants us to say yes because it transforms our lives, but it also transforms the lives of the world and the people around us. God seems to use yeses to change the world. And when I say change the world, this is what I firmly believe that God is at work to restore and to change our world, to draw people to himself. So whether that's your neighbor or your school or your family or literally counties and countries that he is at work at and to change and to bring back to himself, he is at work changing the world. And I firmly believe that God will either change the world through us or in spite of us. I don't think that our no is going to stop God from changing the world, from being at work, from actively pursuing people. I think he's going to do it regardless, whether you say no or yes. It's just, is he going to do it through you, or is he going to do it in spite of you? I'd rather him do it through me. But we see in Scripture that a yes cannot just change you. It can literally change everything around you. There's a guy who doesn't have a name. He's just called the jailer. 
in Acts 16. It's Paul and Silas are these early missionaries in the church, and they're imprisoned in this cell, and some miraculous things happen where they're allowed to go free. God, God orchestrates this thing for them to go free, and this jailer who's responsible for keeping them in jail is terrified because he thinks he's going to be in trouble for these prisoners going free. This is in Acts 16. And so he calls for the light. He rushes in. He's trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he, brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Maybe he meant saved from the immediate punishment or maybe he meant salvation. But either way, he says, what must I do to be saved? And they replied and they said, well, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so then the jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Here we go. He and his whole household His yes to what God put before him changed his entire household. God uses our yes to transform ourselves, but also to transform the world, whether that's our family or our neighbor, or literally your yes might change entire communities and counties and countries. God uses our yes. So in this point, it's probably helpful. I think it's helpful, so we're going to do it to caution us against a few things. Because you might be sitting there and saying, well, are are you telling me that everything that comes along that I think is a good thing, that might be God telling me to say yes to, I should just say yes to it. Saying yes to God, I don't think, means a full calendar necessarily. doesn't mean that every night of the week then you have to fill it with all these different yeses that you've committed yourself to. I want to caution you that a, a yes to God shouldn't, shouldn't cancel out, shouldn't take away from another God-given yes. So in other words, a, a no could potentially protect a yes. Does that make sense? So for instance, I had a, I had a volunteer in high school ministry, and they were, they were incredible. They were killing it. Students loved them, adored them. They were reaching out to their kids, doing everything we asked them to do, super effective. And they came into my office and said, Andy, um, you know, this is a hard conversation to have, but right now, in my stage of life, I feel like I need to prioritize my family. And we're in kind of a crucial stage of our family right now, and Sunday nights are really important times, and I, I feel like I need to be there for my kids, the rest of my family, I, I, and so I can't say yes anymore to high school ministry. That no to high school ministry allowed them to say yes to something that God was calling them to do. Something, in my opinion, greater. I think your family is your first ministry. So say no so that you can fully say yes to a God-given yes. That make sense? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, second caution is that a yes is for transformation. A yes is more concerned about transformation than about the task at hand. So in other words, there's a guy, we'll just, we'll just use him as an example. I feel kind of bad picking on him, but... So we'll use Jonah in the Old Testament. God called him to do something very specific, to go to another country and to share this message of salvation, of impending judgment if they didn't change. And he says no, he gets swallowed by the fish, and he's in the belly of this sea creature. He prays to God. If You're kind of told early on that he prays this prayer of repentance, but if you, if you read the prayer, it's actually more lament and sorrow that he's in this bad spot. So he never really actually 
repents. At least that's not what it feels like in the text. He gets spit up. He finally does go to Nineveh. He does kind of a half-hearted job of telling them about God. Even despite that, God uses his half-hearted attempt to save the entire nation. And the book ends with Jonah sitting on this hill. And he's grieving. He's frustrated. He's upset at God for what he used him to go do to save this people. And then this little plant appears. You guys know the story? This little plant appears. And he's so happy that this little plant appears. He shows more emotion for this little plant that's giving him shade than he did for this entire group of people that God just spared. And then God makes the plant go away. And Jonah gets very upset. He throws this pity party. He's upset at God. You took away my shade. You took away my plants. And God ends up rebuking him because here's the deal. Jonah did the thing, kind of, that God asked him to do. Goes to Nineveh. He kind of said the, the, the message. It was just one little line, um, I think, meant to highlight the fact that he probably wasn't real enthusiastic about the message. It says the city was a three days walk. He walks one day into it and walks back. Doesn't even go to the end of the city. It's just, the text kind of gives you this picture that he half-heartedly did what God asked him to do. He did it, but it's clear that nothing happened in his heart. There's no transformation. And God, I don't think God is sitting in heaven and saying, man, I got all of these tasks to get done. Good thing I have billions of people that can go do all of my work. He, I don't think he gives you things to say yes to because he, he needs you to get them done. It's because he wants you and whoever you're interacting with to be transformed, to understand him better. And Jonah completes the task but misses the transformation that comes when you can say yes. So, for, so my friends Josh and Paige Aphram, they have a dog. They have this golden doodle okay, named Gimli. They love Gimli. I do not like Gimli, okay? I'm not a dog person, okay? So I just lost half of you, okay? And then the very next question, whenever I say that, people are like, so you're a cat person? No, I hate cats too. I don't know why you have to be one or the other. It doesn't, I, no animals. I don't like animals. Wild animals, yes. Domestic animals, okay, you guys are looking at me like I just, I'm sorry. But I'll tell you what, Josh and Paige love Gimli. Gimli, and if you like dogs, Gimli's a beautiful dog. He's a kind dog. He's very cute, apparently, I'm told. But they love taking care of Gimli. Now, here's the deal. If they were to go on vacation, Josh said you can only use this example if you show a picture of Gimli. I said, I'm not showing a picture of someone else's dog. That's very weird to me. You guys are like, I want to see it now. Okay, I don't have it because that's weird. Um, <laughs> so I'm, This is Josh's dog. No. So if Josh and Paige were to go away and they said, Andy, we want you to take care of Gimli. He'd be risking Gimli's life. But in addition to that, <laughs> I would take care of Gimli. Josh is my friend. Paige is my friend. That I wouldn't do it cheerfully. I wouldn't. I, I'd probably get one of those back scratchers to pet Gimli. I, he would get love, but he, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know. You know, Josh and Paige do the little nose thing with Gimli. They love Gimli. I'm not doing that. I, I get a little thing and a spatula. I'll let him out. I'm not cruel. I'll pick up his stuff. I'm not going to do it cheerfully. I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to do it just to get through it and to help Josh and Paige out. Now, when Josh and Paige take care of Gimli, right? Yeah, it's hard. There's times that it's frustrating. It's uncomfortable. But there's this joy. There's this excitement because they feel they love Gimli. Gimli's a part of their family. They feel, they feel called to take care of this dog because this dog is a beautiful part of their family. And so as they enter into these tasks, there is this emotional attachment. There's joy. There's patience. Even Josh would come in and like, yeah, Gimli ate another book. I was like, another book? First book, Gimli's gone. 
If, that's, if Gimli eats one of my books, we find a new home for Gimli. But there's patience, and there's, yeah, I know, but taking care of him. And I don't think God wants us to, to just do these tasks that he's called us to do. I think he wants us to enter into them, to be full of joy as we do them, to allow whatever we're doing to penetrate our hearts and to feel and to change and to be transformed. So with that being said, how do we know what the yes is. How do we define, how do we know when to say yes? So this is just a list that, that, that I came up with. It's not an exhaustive list. It's a little bit of a filter. and it, it might help you. How do we define a yes? I think we have to create space to listen to God. How do we know what's next for us? How do we know what God wants to do? We have to, we have to somehow create some space where God can actually speak to us and we can hear him. I think we have to create space to listen to others. God has put people in our lives that know us, that love us, that understand our situation, and they can say, that seems like a good yes, or that seems like a really bad yes, and he's put family members or life group members or coworkers in your life to help with that process. So create some sort of space to listen to other people. I think we have to know the needs around you. And as you begin to understand what, what needs are around you, you can maybe start to say yes or no to certain things. So, for instance, you think God is calling you to, to mentor young men and women. And so you have a, a, a son or a daughter who plays a sport, soccer. And so you think, well, part of how I'm going to mentor kids, I'm going to be a coach. That seems like a really good yes. That is a, that's a great yes. But then you go to the sideline and you realize they already have a coach and he's fantastic. They have an assistant coach, and she's awesome. She's pouring into the kids. And they have another assistant coach who brings the best snacks or whatever it is. And they have another, so there's already two or three assistant coaches. Think, but I'm supposed to mentor kids, so I'm going to coach. Well, there's no need right there for a coach. But maybe if you want to mentor kids, there's a need at a school program where you can mentor kids. Or there's a need in the church, or there's a need in your neighborhood where you can uh, create a safe place in your home for your friends to come over, and you can be that parent that nurtures and loves and cares for creates a space. Maybe that's the yes. But until you know the needs around you, you're going to have a hard time saying yes to the right things. Does the yes lead to some sort of personal transformation? Does it, does it bring about change? Does it bring about closeness to God? And so you're in a season of life where you think maybe you need uh, some, some help, some professional help, someone to talk to that can lead to personal transformation. Maybe you're in a season of life that you need to, to carve out some time for yourself, away from family, away from job, and just think. That, that, could, that could lead to transformation. Maybe you need to go on some sort of trip, some experience or a retreat. That could lead to some sort of personal transformation that seems like it would be a good yes. Does it, does it lead to the transformation of others? Starting something in your community, actually maybe just talking to your neighbors. Maybe there's, maybe there's something that God has put on your heart. There's an injustice that you are aware of that, that really you're passionate about. Maybe you've been kicking around an idea to start an initiative or a nonprofit or a something that could help address this issue, this injustice, and it could lead to, to transformation of entire communities. Does the yes that you're considering help other people into a transformational relationship with Jesus that makes their world better, puts this world back together. And, and lastly, consider your gifts. How have you been gifted? 
You know, so, so if one of my, if I say, you know, I think in this season, God has called me to, to mentor, to disciple students and to help them understand scripture better, which I think is part of what I'm supposed to do right now. And so I said, I heard this opportunity where you can uh, go kayaking in the boundary waters and there's Bible study and there's discipleship and there's all this uh, great interaction and curriculum. That would be great uh, if I knew how to kayak and if I liked being outside and if I, uh, my version of camping is, you know, like a hotel. I don't understand camping. Why would you camp when there are hotels with modern amenities? There's toasters and such. I don't get that. So for me to say, okay, 10 kids, let's go. We're going to the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota, and we're going to go on this experience together, and I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to mentor you, I'm going to disciple you, I'm going to teach you everything I know. That doesn't make any, that doesn't, that doesn't mesh at all with how God has made me. Those kids would, would never come back. We would be still kayaking somewhere. <laughs> we just would. I, that's not me. That's not, how, that's not how God has put me together. But over the past few years, probably three years, as I've been a student pastor and I've interacted with students, especially middle school, so I used to be a middle school pastor, parents would always ask me, you know, what, what resources are available for my student to help them you know, understand Scripture more? And I really had a hard time finding things for them. There are devotionals and 365-day things and those type of things, but to really help students develop this skill of understanding Scripture and to, to put it into practice, I couldn't find much. And so for the past few years, I, I felt this prompting as other people have told me this, and God, I feel like, has told me this. Well, how about you just create that thing? You like this kind of stuff. You like to write. You like the Bible. You like helping students understand it. So maybe you should just you should create this thing that you wish was available. And so finally, over the past like year, I decided to say yes to that. So on my off days or at nights, if Brittany's out doing something with work or with friends or something like that. I'll pull up my computer, and I'll just start to write through something. I don't even know what it's going to look like yet, to be honest. But I feel like if, I'm call, if that's what I feel the yes is, then how am I gifted, and how can I then meet that need or engage in what God has for me? And if I think through the, things of the reasons why we say no, for me, for that, they're all there. It's a bit risky. I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if there's going to be any sort of investment in this or how this is going to It's a bit risky. It's, it's a bit unclear. I have no idea what the end product's going to look like or how it's all going to come to fruition or if it even will. You know, it's a bit uncomfortable. I give up some time every once in a while to do it. It's a little bit of a sacrifice. There are times I think it's beneath me. Like, do I need to be writing middle school journals? And there are times I think it's beyond me. Like, who am I to try and train middle school students? I go through, I mean, so all of those are there. And then I also look at the, filter. I feel like God's told me to do it. I feel like other people have told me to do it. I feel like it fits my gifting. I feel like it helps transform me as I write these. It might help transform other people as they read them. Maybe. I don't know. And so for me, that was a, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to figure out what that looks like in my life. I don't know what your yes is. And as we invite the band up, as we close, I would just encourage you to Take some time today or this week to say, what is your yes? What do you think God is calling you to do? You know, this, this last song uh, is really cool. I'm not going to pray at the end of this like sometimes we typically do. We're going to use this last song as our prayer. It's called, You Make Me Brave. You've probably heard of it. We've, we've, we've done it here before. We're going to make the lyrics of this song our prayer. Because it talks about what it looks like to be, to be called out from the shore into waves, into, into ambiguity. 
And then as we say yes, as we engage in that, as we, as we go out to whatever God has for us, we know that he's the reason we're doing it. There's a line that says, because of your love, it's because he loves us. There's a line that says, you are for us, not against us. It's because he's for us that we can do that. We can be brave, we can be courageous as we say yes to God. So what is it for you? You know, over the next five weeks, we're going to journey with you as we take a look at some of the things that God might be calling us to. And you might hear some things over the next five weeks that say, yes, that's the thing that has been stirring in me. You've given language to it. You've given an opportunity to it. That's the thing. You might hear something that prompts you and says, it's not that thing. I don't, it's not that, but that made me think of this other thing that I think God is calling me to. It might be here at Parkview. There are opportunities here at Parkview, of course, but it might be something in your family. It might be something in your community, in your own personal life, in another country, at your work. I don't, what's what's it going to be? We are so excited to see what God is going to do over these next five or six weeks of summer as we explore what is it? What's next for God's people here? What's next for you? What's next for me? How is the yes going to be greater than the no? So as we sing this song, I encourage you, you if, you, if you're a singer, you love to sing, just sing them. If, if, if you don't typically sing, just, just read the words. Let the words be your prayer this morning. Look, I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you do and maybe you don't. But I know that God is with us. He's for us. And he wants us to say yes to whatever it is that's in our life. You know, maybe, maybe as you've listened today, you've thought, I don't feel like I have anything. Maybe because I've never actually said yes to God for the first time. I've actually never decided to even follow Jesus yet. And so my yes, your yes in that moment maybe today is for the first time to say yes. Yes to God. Yes to following him. Yes to pursuing him. If that's, if that's you, I mean, that's, that is the first and greatest yes of your life. We would love for you to come down. We'll have some people down front. They would love to celebrate with you, pray with you, and just uh, celebrate in the fact that you felt that today. I'm going to pray for us as we leave the building and go into our families and our communities and our workplaces. I'm going to pray for boldness. I'm going to pray that we remember that he has made us brave and that we can go out with confidence knowing that he is for us and that we can say yes to the things that he puts in our lives because he's the champion of heaven. I love that lyric, the champion of heaven. So let's pray. God, thank you that you call us, but then you also equip us to do the things that you called us to do. So over the next few weeks as we explore this together, God, I pray that you would give us clarity around what it is that we ought to be saying yes to. What is greater in our lives that we could be experiencing if we leaned in to your plan for us. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.